You're listening to Masters of Digital Transformation, brought to you by AIM10X and hosted by Tony Saldana. Hey, welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation. I'm your host, Tony Saldana. And each episode, we bring you industry stories with insights into some of the top challenges around digital transformation, especially in planning. My guest today is Dr. Carsten Linz, former CDO at BASF. And of course, uh, Dr. Carsten probably needs no introduction. He's a global influencer, author, keynote speaker, and of course, a mentor and a coach to institutions and leaders everywhere. He's a member of the World Economic Forum Expert Network for Digital Transformation, as well as his new book, Radical Business Model Transformations, is considered a standard reference in business model literature and of course, honored with the coveted Award of Excellence from the Global Institute of Logistics and ranked as leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant. I'm out of breath with that. Welcome to the show, Karsten. Tony, you're making me shy. (laughs) What can I say after this introduction? (laughs) Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure. Very interesting background. Now, I I, I know you're a little shy talking about your professional background. So maybe on the personal side, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I'm coming from Germany. So I grew up in the southern part of Germany. Now I'm based out of Frankfurt. So just looking at the skyline here in the evening, Sam. And if I don't focus on digital transformation, business model transformation, or the intersection of both, which is really what I'm passionate about, I really have also a passion for architecture and design. So I'm married. We have a little one, my wife and I, and if I don't work and if I'm not looking into architecture design, I do a lot of sports, so tennis, volleyball, mountain biking, and so on. Oh, my God. All right. Is there anything that you don't do? No, that's okay. You don't have to (laughs) answer that. A lot, a lot. There's also a lot that I don't know. (laughs) Oh, no, just kidding. Just kidding. But among many other things, Karsten, you're known as a passionate part leader about the importance of bundling and intersecting the topics of digital transformation and uh, business model transformation. Let's jump in. What are your insights that originally created this passion? That's interesting. I'm surprised that many leaders and organizations worldwide have still a relatively low ambition when it comes to transformation. It's really, despite there is a reset on the horizon, we have seen that through COVID-19, we've seen it before, we're now mm-hmm. seeing the sustainability challenge. Actually, every day the, the world is recalibrating quite heavily these days. So improvement that only scratches the surface cannot be enough. So really need developing a radically different value proposition. We need to develop new ways of creating value, delivering value, and capturing the value for the organization and other stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So we double-clicked on that and looked into 380 transformations on a global scale. And surprising, there's quite some emphasis still, and that's still the maturity of the transformations are looking into automation gains and um, efficiency wins. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just basically doing what you've been doing before paper-based, for example, now in a digital format. There's nothing bad about that, but it's definitely not really changing the rules of the game. So the second category, which is already big these days, has been quite small, let's say five years ago, 10 years ago, but it's now now, now really on the rise, is of course 
putting business processes at test before re-implementing yeah. re them. That yeah. would be process change or process reimagination. Everything we're doing with predictive maintenance uh, along these lines would fall into that category. Where we're still seeing, from my perspective, too low traction is really the area of transforming the operating model. So let's take the Adidas example, for example, with their speed factory. It has, has yeah. been a bit under pressure recently due to a change in, in the CEO. Uh, but fundamentally what they're doing, they have uh, tried to implement a mass customization approach, yeah. relinking the supply chain directly to, to the consumer demand uh, yeah. and really not bringing out standard products only, but really mass customizing that and gearing towards specific customer needs. And that's already going quite into a substantial leap for an organization. And the biggest leap is definitely running a business model transformation. But the beauty of a business model transformation is that you're really changing the way how you create the value in the back end, how you mm. deliver the value in the front end to your customer, and how you capture the value, how you monetize that value created for your own organization and the stakeholders involved. And you really have an opportunity to orchestrate that holistically so that basically all the, the digital business impact projects follow a certain North star. Mm. And this is this is lacking in many organizations. It's, it's a huge opportunity to really change the, the game here. So not only do better what we, what we have always been doing before, just more efficiently, but really moving the needle towards new business models and new ways of doing, doing things. And if I would be allowed to give an advice, look at that as a portfolio. You know, okay. I mean, there's nothing bad about having 30, 40% automation wins, efficiency gain portfolio projects in your portfolio, but also make sure that you have 30 or 40%, uh, which are more geared towards a transformation of the operating model and a business model so that you don't digitize the past, but really also innovate and transform for the future. That's very interesting. I'm a firm believer in, in that. I, in some of my own work, I have basically classified transformation as having, you know, three legs. One is the internal business operations. The, the other is external business model itself. And then the third is digital products, right? So smart products, so on and so forth. Interesting. And so a lot of the work that you've done, and you've done very deep uh, research into this, seems to indicate that if you want to make your transformation A, big enough, and B, you want to make it stick, then you really have to play at that intersection of digital and business model. Do you think that where companies, and we don't have to name names, there are case studies around Ford and G and, and, and others, which are already in the public domain, where companies have fallen short? Do you think it's because they were not able to make the transformation stick at every level in the organization? And, and, and perhaps in some cases, they were not thinking big enough? Yeah, it's, a, it's an excellent question. I'm not the one to say others are not doing a good job. That's not what I want to do. But if we look at just the pure data set, I, I think we can identify quite some interesting findings. So, so first, the more you need move the needle towards mm -hmm. uh, transformation of the operating model or the business model, the more you really require backing 
from the executive board mm -hmm. or the supervisory board or the board of directors. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you also have to, to work on your leadership approach. Yeah. If, if, if you're geared towards efficiency gains and automation wins, that's still traditional management. Yeah. But the more you move towards business model and operating model transformation, it's really about creating new leaders that can really drive the change, drive the transformation that are much more entrepreneurial than what you require in, in uh, managing existing cash flow. Right. Uh, and, and you need both. Uh, yes, a successful organization, as we both know, needs two strong hands. One hand geared towards managing the existing cash flow of the existing business in an incremental form to keep it successful, but also at the same time, really making the leap and building the future of your organization yeah. while you're keeping the existing business running. And back to your question, you know, we have seen on the one hand side, for example, Enel, it's the largest utility mm -hmm. in, in Italy, very successful early on, implemented and rolled out smart meters, uh, moved their entire IT to the cloud. The interesting thing is that they really did it very close to the business domain. Oh. So they, they did not do a big splash, a central program, but they stick very, very close to the user, the customer, and also their domain expertise. Mm -hmm. Because if you put digital in an isolated box, sometimes digital lacks the, the business domain knowledge. And it's yeah. really important at a certain point in time that comes together. Also, I like the transformation of, of Clock at very traditional business like steel they're a steel uh, distributor so not a producer and they actually moved up towards a digital store for steel then uh -huh. build a marketplace brought on the complementers who, who added complements on the marketplace adding or enriching the the product offering and then moved into really an open platform approach uh, with xom materials also bringing on the, even the, the direct competitors on that uh, digital platform. And that's, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand side, and, and, you, 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 and it's public knowledge, we have seen Forge, for example, we've seen GE, who, who went that big uh, bang approach, also separated and with a central approach and have not been too successful looking back. And we, we're just working on, on an article where we try to distill all these findings. And we figured out and we used two terms we said there's the separate then integrate model which was very famous yeah. in the consumer products industries yeah. Yeah. so you first build it in an incubator in an accelerator yeah. in a central unit and then you reintegrate and use your distribution logic your existing yeah. distribution channels and we figured out that especially industrial firms are potentially more successful if you're not changing uh, it entirely, but embedded in their existing domains, but expertise, and then scaling it out with more autonomy. So that, I think that's quite an interesting contrasting approach. So at least for industrial firms, we figured out that the embed then scale approach is more successful, evidently. That is fantastic. That's an interesting insight. I would completely agree with uh, your characterization. I, I hadn't quite framed it in those words, but based on the industry, it is very clear that where you start the transformation matters. It's interesting to me always to look at companies such as Amazon, who build a lot of their transformations based on user experience first. They control the user experience to the nth degree and in many ways, they are less concerned about their back 
operations, at least initially. Now, of course, over a period of time, they have built their own. They obviously don't buy uh, any of their automation from other suppliers. They build their own. That approach of starting with the consumer and then working backwards is a characteristic of that company and, and that industry. So this makes a lot of sense. That's very interesting. Now, may, may I add one thing here? It's absolutely right because before our CEO, Jeff Bezos' focus was always the customer, never the competitor. Yeah. And, and customer means user. Yeah. And it's really going back to the user experience. And that's something I think we can learn from his approach. It's really like B2B to C to end user. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's really always thinking until the end and then taking it backwards. Exactly as you said, so he, he, he worked on the operations dramatically, That's also on the logistics. As, uh, Amazon is a world-class logistics company, as we all know. Uh, they work on the monetization mechanics, so the third element of a, of a successful business model. But they started with the user experience yes. and then took it all the way back. Exactly yes. as you're saying. And, and I find it fascinating. So don't get, if you compare yourself with a competitor, you're always not getting better than the benchmark. Exactly. And, and it's fascinating because many organizations, as we both know, and as all the uh, listeners know, are doing this slightly different. They do. I, I, I think you have to be very clear of your uh, own business model and about your aspirations on whether you all always want to be chasing competitors or at least in certain areas of your operating model, you want to have distinctive leadership versus competition because you're gonna to have to be distinctive somewhere. You can't always say, my ambition is to be fast follower on everything because if you're gonna be a fast follower on everything, there's always gonna be other companies that will eventually fast follow you faster than you. And of course, you've lost your distinctive edge. Um, but it's amazing there, for me there how even many companies who want to be last follower. <laughs> yes, no, exactly. It's 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 amazing to me that many leaders do this intuitively. They they know that I don't have to be the best at everything, but I'm going to pick A, B, and C, and I'm going to be really good at that. And and that's got to inform your IT and your digital strategy. And and that's that's a lot of the work that you do. Now, of course, you've also done a lot of work on organization design. From your experience, how should a modern digital or IT organization look? So, for example, do they design for something different? Is it that they have better business awareness or technical skills? And how does all of that integrate between IT and the business? That's a very good question. Try to give it a shot. What we've seen as uh, looking backwards is that we had the age of IT, which, which yeah. was not uh, able to basically make the business entirely happy. Then we had the age of, of digital, which also not, was not 100% successful. We had a bit, a bit of POC here, a bit of lighthouse there. But once you want to scale out the business impact, you always have to integrate somewhere in the back office, in a transactional system, and so on. And you as, as we had sometimes competing departments, digital versus IT, <laughs> CDO versus CIO, whatever. <laughs> so that, that didn't really work out entirely. And I think we, we see the best of these two worlds now uh, going forward. And I really believe, and 
it's just my personal uh, perspective, but I've seen really working uh, organization that I've built that integrate business and IT. So it's not either or, it's not business, it's not digital or IT, but it's basically business, digital and IT coming together in that magic triangle uh, with mixed teams and that you really build kind of products so digital it business products that you're saying you build like mini ventures and if if you build a product a modern product centric digital slash it organization that then you really have a focus because then you just have a business problem and you find an answer to that a solution to that problem and that can the answer can be a bit of a transactional system an sap or oracle system but it can also be a, a very fancy own develop, own code line, own IP as a digital solution from your data scientist team, uh, for example, and bringing that magically together, but having that a product, uh, so to speak, that answers that business requirement, I think is very fascinating. And then you can build up following that product approach, like Google is, is, is also using that with the engineering teams, bringing these mixed teams together. And you can say you have an organization which is product-centric, and then you build products on products and build product clusters, for example. And I, I think it's working out nicely. I'm a bit skeptical sometimes because that should follow an agile approach, of course, yeah. from the early stage where it's design thinking. And the second part of the design thinking approach is, is following agile, fast feedback logic. Then yeah. you have the agile development, let's say Scrum, for example. Um, then you go into DevOps. Typically, it requires a bit of time to move the needle to move from, from agile development to, to really DevOps. And then if you start building businesses, then it, it just, it's a continuation of the same logic. Always fast feedback iteration means it's really about fast learning. And then you move directly into a lean startup. It's just exactly the same logic, but now it's about building in a fast feedback way, asking your customer, getting the feedback, the user, and then even scaling out your or scaling out your business. And I find that fascinating. And it's not it's a transformation of an organization, but it's always a transformation. It's a cultural transformation. It's a leadership transformation because the old. A way of leading IT organization then is not typically this, the, the right uh, approach any longer. So a very fascinating journey from my perspective. It, it is. And, and obviously one that you have personally driven and, and, and led in very large companies, I can see that the trick is really in the combination of where you bring in design thinking and where you bring in agile and then where you bring in the concepts of lean startup. And it's up to the mindset of the organization, including the leaders, on essentially guiding the organization through those three processes. Now, which gives me an opportunity to also maybe dive a little deeper into agile ways of working. Um, What do you think businesses need to do to create this agility in their operations? That's an excellent question also. The trickier thing with Agile is that Agile is a pretty rigid approach. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, somehow counterintuitive. Some business leaders still think that you do something which is fluffy and yeah. the result is Agile, but this is exactly not yeah. what Agile is about. Uh, I think everyone on this podcast knows that. It's really you're applying a very, really surprisingly rigid set of rules mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a very rigid fashion. Yeah. And then the outcome is agility. Yeah. And I think this is the mental model which you really have to 
to bring in the heads and the hearts of the organization before you can be successful with agile if you ask yeah. me personally because if you think agile is something which is fluffy and every everyone yeah. is doing agile and this makes your organization agile it's basically leading nowhere yeah. but really understanding that only if you have a set of rules that you're coherently applying on a day-to-day basis that leads to agility and that leads to a completely different way of developing software, for example. That's running the operations, driving down So when it comes to operations through the automation and so on. It has an impact on the shared service centers and so on and so forth. That's, I think, where the actually the magic lies. And the rest is hard work. An agile transformation is not a walk in the park. I, I'm, I always hear that sometimes. We, we have done that. So either, I, I'm not sure. It's really hard work. The only two considerations, I think for me, the agile approach really works very well if you have a product-centric digital slash IT organization. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that works together. I'm a bit skeptical if you do only one. So if you're Mm -hmm. doing, you know, now we do agile without setting up your digital IT or your product organization in a way where agile fits in then I'm a bit skeptical because then all that feedback logic is somehow limited. That's one. And the second thing where I'm a bit skeptical, if you start applying the agile concept bigger than it was initially meant. So mm-hmm. kind of, it's not about an agile digital RT, whatever, a product organization, but it's an agile organization. And even the board is agile and every, everyone is agile. So then I'm a bit skeptical, not about the board, don't get me wrong. <laughs> At a certain level, agile is not against having an, a hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, a part of the organization can be a traditional divisional or functional organization, but nevertheless, you work agile in your organizational entity. So that's, to me, not that it has to go fully fledged. It's about finding the right and the tricky balance of that. But for, if you find that right balance, I think it can be a very powerful approach. Your point around the fact that there is inherent in agile a lot of discipline is worth pausing on because... I think that most people struggle with the idea that flexibility and discipline can go together. And in a lot of the successful, very agile organizations that I've had the experience to work with, what stands out for me is their discipline. They are disciplined to a dogmatic extent on specific small little principles and building blocks but they are incredibly agile in their decision-making and how they're able to turn on a dime whenever we have to change directions. So again, a very good insight from you, Karsten, that inherent in the whole design is discipline, but then the magic of agile here on behalf of the whole organization is that if you use it correctly, you're able to be a very agile organization. And and it gets built into the DNA, not just in IT development, for example. And of course, these days, the construct of agile is becoming widespread and, and it's going beyond software. Although in many of the areas that you specialize in, which is manufacturing companies, they are themselves becoming software companies. Now, if you happen to be such a company, 
what do you need to do now so that you are not surprised by the fact that the industry is becoming a software industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just changing gears from agile to to software company, being a software company, and it has something to do with strategy, if you ask me personally. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the next surprising thing because. Agile is not against strategy. <laughs> you still need a strategy. Exactly. Uh, because many organizations skip the word strategy because of now we're agile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> agile is the art of executing strategy with excellence. Yeah, you don't need a deterministic strategy any longer. Exactly. That's, you know, you exactly. don't need that five or 10 year plan that yeah. some companies might have thought useful yeah. 25 years ago. But it's really, you have to know what is your landing strip? What is your desired end state? Exactly. What is you know the target picture what is the north star and if you have that everything falls into its place because then agile becomes a much more powerful approach because everyone is a bit more rowing in the same direction yes but basically skipping the word strategy because you're so agile some organizations do that we both know that and i think it's not the right approach yeah. so so now back to your question with becoming a software company that's not an easy thing. I've met many organizations, as a CEO of organization, which somehow were surprised when I told them that they're a software company. Everyone is becoming a software and data company. Yeah, you, re- you read it in an article, but it's a different thing. So that you're really the CEO of a software company, at least in a, in a little po- part of it. And it's many top leaders still surprised because it comes with quite some burden. So let's be fair, uh, support, global yeah. management of IP. Where does the IP sit? You gain the IP in a consulting project, but you have to have the IP on a global scale. Otherwise, you cannot use it in a different project in a different country. And all these tricky things, which for a software company is so crystal clear, you have to learn them the hard way. And I think you can make many mistakes. So it means like you have to learn a new set of rules to be successful because you haven't been a software company before. And now you you are a software company. And I think you mentioned your three-leg approach early on in our conversation today. And I think this is perfect. This is to the point. If I follow that logic, I always say it's about digitizing your existing business model. So you check how many digital workplace you have, you're checking how many transactions with your customers go through digital channels or digital platforms and so on. How many of your devices or your machines are connected in an IoT setting and so on, but still following the same business model. Secondly, you really have to, if you have decided to change your business model, it's it's really all of a sudden you're in the game of uh, building also native digital revenue streams. For example, you're adding digital service that enrich the value proposition of your physical value creation system. So you have a physical product and now you're enriching that through digital services. And you you basically the value, hopefully for the user or the customer is increasing. Then at a certain point in time, you can add a price point, which means like all of a sudden through that digital forward integration, moving closer to your customer, you build a digital native revenue stream. And this becomes attractive for your CFO. You're building marketplace, whatever you're doing. And this is the second thing. And the third one, I think the third leg, which you mentioned is really not only using software to basically improve your own operations, not only as an enabler for new business models, which is already quite a challenge, but really kind of 
delivering software as an offering to your customers. And this is really changing the, the rules of the game quite dramatically because all the beautiful thing that a software company can do, you can discuss now for hours, do I do an upfront license payment plus a bit of maintenance fee or do I go directly to the subscription-based business like we have seen the, the transformation with Adobe and Microsoft quite successfully. Yeah. After they had convinced the analysts and the capital markets because you're typically creating a debt. But that's quite a challenge. So you have all these up, upsides, but you also get all the burdens uh, and the painful exercises that a software company has to do extremely well to stay relevant and successful. And I think if you can differentiate these three elements uh, yeah. very well, I think it's the first step towards success. And then just one example which comes to mind, we have seen it with infrastructures service or AWS, mm -hmm. I think is, is pretty successful in that category. Uh, but now we're seeing a similar uh, thing shaping up in the financial service industry. So we see on the one hand side, a need for embedded finance. Mm -hmm. So financial services um, in end-to-end -end process. So basically finance that you don't perceive as a user as finance transaction. It's just embedded in what I do anyhow on a, on a digital platform, in a store, and so on. And that leads to banking as a service on the uh -huh. other hand side of the spectrum. So uh -huh. a digital platform which exposes financial services uh -huh. so that others can embed that. And of course, you have all the economies of scale. Now, yeah. potentially, you have a banking, a fully, fully licensed, a fully banking license, and so on. And that's so, so fascinating. I think understanding that game also is, is strategically yes, a valuable exactly. exercise because it leads to a new way of thinking. So yeah. exposing services as a company, which get embedded somewhere else, is a quite a powerful means. That's, again, a, a fascinating insight on how this is a progression you develop digital capabilities internally. And then as you start to expose some of them, you maybe start to sell entire platforms to the industry and drive additional consumer value. But this is really why it's such a pleasure to speak with you, Karsten, because you have this ability to connect the dots between seemingly unconnected trends that you see around you it's been a real pleasure to speak with you, and I'm sure our listeners are uh, going to take away from this several insights. Before we do anything else, is there any final comment that you'd like to add, something that you would like to make sure that our listeners don't miss from our conversation today? It's often about the mental model. Because uh, if you change the mental model, you have a much higher probability to succeed. Mm. And the mental model also in our last example is a different one than the typical mental model. Yeah. In a traditional company, the mental model is basically what I can do very well. I yeah. keep it as a secret and I yeah. keep it for yeah. me. And the mental model for a successful platform company who exposes service to yeah. others, they can innovate on top, is basically what I can do best. I give it away to others that they can co-create with me a better future. Exactly. So a completely different mental model. And it, I, I think going back to these fundamentals, sometimes I think is, is good for leaders to really see, do I still have the right logic to be successful in that new future? So in this recalibrated world. So that might be a last thought from my side for our episode today. The, the mindset, the mental model, as you call it, is indeed 
absolutely valuable in the digital era. Hey, Costin, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for being with us today. Tony, it has been a pleasure. Thanks for your great question. And thanks for your thoughts uh, and co-creating a, a great conversation together. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, it's been fantastic. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us today. As always, we appreciate your company. Make sure you subscribe to our show and keep getting new episodes as they drop. And until next time, remember, as always, don't just implement planning, redefine it. Thank you for listening to Masters of Digital Transformation. For more information, be sure to check out www.09solutions.com slash aim10x.